You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. And welcome to the Captain's Coach Podcast. I am your host, Luke Poulos, and I apologize for the ever-increasing gaps between episodes these days. But today, I have an awesome guest with a unique perspective on leadership. Bill Dempsey is my guest today. Bill is a retired Navy SEAL who spent over 28 years on active duty serving our country, and for the last 13 years has been an instructor at the Joint Special Operations University at Fort Bragg. He was also a Division I baseball player and graduate of Duke University. During our conversation, Bill and I focus on the importance of a narrative, how it differs from a simple story, its impact and influence on identity, and how to shape the organizational narrative. Bill also lays out some of the most critical concepts and thought patterns all leaders should have and internalize, as well as describing ways to develop your skills in thinking outside the box as a leader. I really enjoyed talking to Bill, and I could have probably talked to him for hours. It was a true pleasure having him on the show, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did on another episode of the Captain's Coach Podcast. Hi, Bill. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your evening to, to talk to us here at the Captain's Coach. Uh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Of course, and, and someone with your vast experience, you know, you, you played college baseball at Duke, and obviously your, your vast experience in your active duty military career, and now you, as, a, as an instructor at the Joint Special Operations University, uh, if you could just start by letting us know what your role there is specifically and, and what it is that you specifically teach. Great. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. The, uh, I did my active duty time as a, as a SEAL. I, I actually enjoyed the Frogman piece. I was involved with, uh, with a min, our mini-sub program when it was to, just getting launched. And so, uh, you know, lots of challenges, but it was always uh, the thing that kept me going was I had an opportunity to work with clearly the most motivated, uh, brightest, sharpest uh, guys uh, uh, in uniform. And so, uh, it was a, it was great for me after I uh, hung up my uniform to be able to continue that uh, as an educator, and uh, and so now I have the privilege of of working with a lot of the folks uh, here at Fort Bragg and the special operations uh, community, uh, and quite frankly, helping them understand uh, kind of a strategic context to the mission that they have. Uh, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Uh, as uh, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of folks, if uh, you know, when you start with why, kind of that Simon Sinek piece, it clearly gives you focus uh, that you can apply your skills and energies, and, and, and quite frankly, I think that's the role of leadership to provide that that vision uh, that uh, gives people the opportunity to make those contributions. Yeah, and and that'll definitely be a big piece of our our conversation here is 
that setting the narrative of, of what your team is trying to accomplish and, and setting the narrative surrounding your, your culture and, and throughout your, your season or, or your organization's lifespan as a leader, that really is one of your main objectives is making sure, like you said, that you have an overarching strategy and a way to, to accomplish your, your goals at the end of the day. Because like you said, if you, if you don't have a goal, there's not really any way to accomplish anything because you don't really know what you're shooting for. And then once you have that goal, starting with your why, as Sinek would say, um, developing that strategy or that, or that narrative uh, to, that'll, that'll keep you down the right path and keep you focused on that, on that why and always bring you back to it. And yeah, and I want to I want to uh, key on uh, one of the things that you just mentioned is that that idea that uh, at the end of the day it's all about understanding the operational environment, you know, the, the the battle space, and that transcends military. You know, you have to understand the environment that you're trying to uh, achieve your goals in, and and that gets us back to the conversation of culture. You know, there's clearly a military culture. There's a special operations culture. There's an athletic culture. Uh, has its has its positives, and and I think we would agree that that there's uh, uh, certain elements of it that uh, that are less than positive. But uh, but at the end of the day, you're trying to get the best out of people. You have to understand where they are coming from. Having that cultural uh, kind of uh, confidence, that cultural um, uh, appreciation that that gives their their uh, experiences and uh, and talents uh, a place to 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 uh, uh, be comfortable. Exactly, and that's you know the the hardest thing about leadership. You know, it, it's getting people to rise to their potential and and pulling that out of them in any way you can, and and keeping it focused on your overall goals and objectives. And, and obviously uh, you have this extreme experience with the military and now, and now teaching those in that same special operations community. What else can you, can you tell us about special operations when it, when it comes to that sort of uh, cultural narrative or, or shaping your objectives and shaping the environment around you? Yeah, there's an interesting thing uh, that uh, uh, that's been been exciting for me as I continue. Being a lifelong learner, first and foremost, is is key, you know, because uh, the world is is uh, dynamic, uh, and so you're, there are always new challenges. Now we're talking about AI and you know artificial intelligence and machine learning and and all those things, but at the end of the day, it still comes back to what we refer to as the human domain. You know, this is this is this that hasn't changed in in 2,000 plus years, uh, and so understanding uh, how people uh, function, and and so that's where that psychology piece is is that uh, you know there's there's that classic there's only two emotions there's love and there's fear, right? And perfect love drives out fear, and so as leaders we have to understand that. Are we operating out of our own fear or are we operating out of love, right? Maxwell says leadership is influence, mm -hmm. right? And so are we modeling, do we have that sense of, of inner peace and confidence that can allow us to, to have the humility to embrace 
others' fears and, and continue to press on, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we, we do that, that may not necessarily work out, uh, um, you know, I think one of the things that, that is more difficult in a business or in a conventional military unit that, that it may be in a, a special operations unit or even in an elite program, you know, basketball program like Duke or, or you know, Carolina or, or, you know, UCLA back in the day, it's that whole idea of you don't get to pick your team necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. As, as I share with my kids, life is a group project and you don't get to pick your team. And so you have to find out what it is that each person is looking for in that, in, out of that uh, experience and draw those folks together. You know, that's, you know, so as a business guy or quite frankly, in, a, in your typical uh, high school or even uh, a college team, you're not going to have a bench full of, of five-star athletes, blue-chip prospects. How do you get the most out of each individual? And I think that's, that's transcendent for military or, or sports. One of the things that uh, we're talking about now is that whole idea of the role of the narrative. You know, we talk about a narrative, and it's more than just a story. Narrative, in fact, defines identity. If I were to ask you, all right, tell me about yourself. You're going to tell me about maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, you know, what, what your uh, uh, family, grandparents, and, and, uh, and great-great-grandparents might have done. You're, you're telling me a story. You're giving me a narrative that has shaped your identity. And so culture is basically that whole idea of identity transferred through narrative. Does that make sense? I mean, does that sound like a... Uh, yeah, that's what I was, I was going to follow that up with. When, when we talk about culture, then, is that really just a, a narrative playing out in the here and now? Oh, I would agree. Yes, yes. And so understanding there are things that uh, you know, are common about our identity, uh, particularly in a sports team, uh, but there are always those things that we bring from, that, that are a different perspective that, again, we just have to have the humility to, to recognize that not everybody has, has our life experiences, but that doesn't mean that their experiences are not, not, not only valid, but, uh, but valuable. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want to bring it back to, you know, a lot of the, what you just touched on, Bill, is, you know, going back to the, the love over fear and love pushing out the fear and everything following that after you said, you know, it really, it, it touched on three different tenets of leadership that we teach at the captain's coach. You know, he said Maxwell defines leadership as influence. And that's really why it, it's tenant number two, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. But to make sure you're influencing people in the right way and not out of selfish reasons. We have another tenant of the captain's coach that, that leadership is a service and, and understanding that the leadership you're providing and the influence you're providing is for others and for the good of the team and not necessarily out of influence, out of fear of failing or fear of someone else. And then, you know, that last tenet that it reminds me of is that leadership is an art form and that you kind of have to balance the influence, the, the service, um, understanding your objective, setting out goals, 
pushing people all in the right direction and, and finding a balance in all of that to make sure that the team is going down the right path and everyone is moving in the same direction. And it's not always yeah, no, going to be the same. It's not always going to be the same tactics every day, day in and day out, but it's, it's going to be a balance. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit more of this, takes a little bit more of that. And at the end of the day, it's finding where all of those intersect for excellence. Yeah. And I could, I think I can use a sh share an experience with you. That's, that's kind of uh, representative of that. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, seal training, we refer to it as BUDS, basic underwater demolition uh, seal training, is that whole idea of taking you to your limits and finding out, you know, one, you learn that you can go farther than you think you can go, but two, you know, you're going to find out how far you can actually, actually go. And mm -hmm. so they would line us up on the beach, uh, you know, standing there on the, on the, uh, beach in San Diego, staring out at the beautiful Pacific Ocean, you know, with the water temperature, a, a toasty, uh, you know, 63, 64 degrees. And we'd just sit in the surf zone for what seemed like hours, right? And so we'd line up and we'd just uh, have our arms locked and, and uh, you know, instructors were saying, okay, let's go. And as the class leader, you know, I just happened to be the senior uh, ensign in the class, yeah, it was my job to take that first step. You know, all right, guys, we've got this job that we need to get done, and I'm going to take the step forward. And, you know, the good thing about it is I never, nobody never took the step with me. You know, the entire class moved down, and we sat in the ocean. Uh, uh, I'll share one story with you. You know, they would, they would stand on the beach and go, if we can just get one guy to quit, we'll let everybody out. One guy. And so finally, somebody, you know, <laughs> would, would, quote, take one for the team. And they'd quit. And they'd go and ring the bell. And, and they were gone, right? And so as soon as they were over the, the, the berm, they'd come back to us. If we can just get one more guy to quit, we'll really let you out, right? And so you just have to it, – it's a test of your commitment to the cause. Right. You know, and that could be a state championship in a, in in you know your, for your high school team. It could be you know making it to the NCAA's. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, it could be beating Army at the uh, <laughs> the football game. <laughs> and so, as they probably know, I'm a Navy guy and and, and you're an Army guy. But uh, and so, as a leader, you're expected to have the the. the uh, basically the guts, the courage to take that first step. And in doing that, you will inspire others to follow along, you know, because as we've talked about, uh, you know, one of the things, the challenges that we face in the military is the difference between leadership and exercising positional authority, you know, because leadership depends on followers. And while following orders is generally mandatory followership is always voluntary and do you want to be guys you know around a bunch of guys that just follow orders or do you want to be a bunch of guys that are following your leadership yeah exactly and I, and I think anybody out there who aspires to be a leader whether in their positions in whatever organization they're in or just a leader in life in general and for those around them including their peers I think the latter is 
the obvious choice. You know, you want people. That's the to only choice. You. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then people. one thing tying into to what what we were just talking about is is again, you know, I, I'm a I'm strong advocate. I mean, John Maxwell is is a phenomenal uh, leadership uh, coach and writer. And I I remember one of his early books was Failing Forward. And that idea that, you know, it gets back to our fear versus our love. Do we have enough courage? Do we have enough confidence to take risk? And if that risk, you know, if we end up failing, well, that's just progress in a, in a different form. Right, exactly. That's just one way of, of not doing it or not getting it done. You know, it's Edison's, you know, I haven't failed. I've, I've found a, th- a thousand ways to not do it. And that's that, that failing forward. That uh, I love that idea and that concept. And it really goes back to that fear. You know, once you take the fear out of it and you look at maybe missing the mark, not as a failure, not at a fear of failure, but as moving towards your goal in another way and, and finding out the way you don't want to go rather than, right. okay, I'm not going to go there at all. So I think that's yep. definitely and a big that, concept. Exactly. And it's that classic case of the only shot you can't make is the one you don't take. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, let me, if I could, let me share a couple of thoughts, uh, kind of reflecting back on, on my, my SEAL training and experience that, that I hope uh, would be uh, of interest and, and useful to your audience. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. When uh, I, I mentioned we would uh, spend a lot of time in the water, and one of the things that uh, uh, was a key skill was what we refer to as surf passage. So you'd have your your uh, platoon, uh, you know, six or seven guys in a in a small inflatable rubber boat, and you'd be paddling out through the surf. And in California, particularly uh, in certain times of year, the surf could get pretty big. And so one of the things that became obvious is that as you were doing as you were doing surf passage and you approached that wave and that wave continued to build and you got steeper and steeper on the face of the wave you could see the top of the wave almost like within arm's length of you well that was the time that you had to bear down and press on those last couple of just really hard paddle strokes and poof, you were through the top of the wave on the backside and a chance to catch your breath and prepare for the next wave. If you didn't do that, you'd find yourself strung along all the beach, having gotten tossed out of your boat, because at that, at that critical moment, you stopped paddling. And I think that's the most important thing as leaders. You need to recognize in those critical times is when you have to be your most focused, your, your most engaged, uh, and work your hardest. And then it's over, Ch- catch your breath, and get ready for the next wave. And, and if you can do that, you've got a reasonable uh, opportunity to be, be successful. And then uh, let me let you react to that, and then I'll, I'll share a couple of other things. Yeah, no, just the, you know, we did, we talked about that, that kind of story before we started it and, and I'll echo it again. It's, it's really an example of rising to the challenge when the obstacles become tougher and tougher, it needs to be matched with the same intensity by, by you and your teammates and understanding that once you get through it, if you do match it, 
you'll get through and you have that, that little bit of rest on the other side. But if you don't, it's going to be 10 times worse than, than it is in that given moment. It's, it's like working hard an entire season. And when it gets tough right there at the end, you fall apart and now your whole season has become a waste. Whereas you can push through that and whether or not the outcome on the scoreboard is what you want it to be. But as long as you guys kept playing, you know, on the other side of that win or lose, it's going to be a much better feeling than if you guys gave up or your team didn't give it its all or you knew some people fell out. That, that crushing defeat is, is a much worse feeling than, than the alternative. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a natural, that's a good lead in to the, to the other two points that I think are, are kind of life lessons uh, kind of that, that are integral to SEAL training, but I think, uh, again, are transcendent, is that whole idea of, uh, you know, we would go through, uh, the, the key piece of, of SEAL training is, is what everybody I'm sure is familiar with is Hell Week. You know, so you go five days, and I think we got about five or six hours of sleep in the course of the week, uh, and a lot of physical activity, you know, the biggest challenge was make sure that your swim buddy didn't fall asleep in his mashed potatoes, you know, at mealtime. But, uh, you know, when, when you make it through that experience, and I think you can reasonably equate that to uh, spring training in football or summer, you know, when you're working right. out and it's 98 degrees outside, well, you can reflect back on those experiences and go, you know what, the challenge that's immediately in front of me is hard. You know, boy, am I, I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm miserable, but I'm not as cold and wet and miserable as I was in Hell Week. Right. You know, and this isn't as hard as it was during those, those suicides drills in, uh, in, in, you know, in preseason workout or those, uh, you know, whatever it is and, and be able to reflect back on that. And so it gives you uh, a peace and, and quite frankly, a sense of confidence that says this problem this challenge is not too difficult to achieve and so in that moment you're 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 operating from a positive not from a, oh my gosh how am i ever going to do this kind of thing uh, you know does that make sense oh yeah exactly and i can i think you said it uh, better than i can but it really is that that and it kind of comes back to this whole theme of narrative that we've been talking about in that you know, when you get in, in the middle of a game and it's the fourth quarter and you're tired, it, trust me, I, I know, and for me, you know, nothing was harder than, than our, our preseason workouts. You know, at lacrosse, we have the benefit of, of playing in the spring, but our preseason primarily comes in, in the fall and the, and the winter. So, you know, we're outside, we're running in the snow. You first couple practices of the season, there's usually a couple, couple feet of snow on the sidelines in Mikey Stadium. And, and you know, it's definitely stuff that we draw on as a team as the season goes on, you know, we've been in way harder situations and it's tough that when you are in tough games, the next game isn't going to be as tough. You know, it's, it's, Hey, you know, we've been in one goal situations before we know it's, right. you know, we've been in, we've yep. been in worse situations. I've been more tired. And like you said, instead of spinning it in a negative, that this is some extreme condition or some obstacle to get through, you can look at it and say, Oh, I've done, more than this before i've gotten over bigger obstacles we've been in worse situations and, and we've succeeded absolutely and you can you can look in your opponent's eyes and see the difference 
You know, I'm looking forward to this. He's dreading this. Right, exactly. He's not up to the task. I know I'm up to the task. And that's a natural kind of tie-in to the, to the third piece I just wanted to share is that, you know, team is everything. You know, special operations is 100% about team. And one of the things that for any elite program uh, is that idea of a common, uh, a shared uh, experience. You know, when faced with those same challenges, whether or not it was Hell Week or preseason training, well, you know, we're all volunteers. Those guys, you know, anybody has an opportunity to quit if they don't, if they just don't want to uh, put up with the, you know, with the pain. But those guys, you're, the guy on your left and the guy on your right, they were there when you were there. They didn't quit then. They're not going to quit now. And so not only do I have the confidence to step forward, but I have the confidence that the guy on either side of me is equally invested and, and has proven themselves. And so, you know, a team working with that degree of, of confidence and, and uh, you know, integration, man, oh, man, it's, it's an amazing thing, as, as I know you and, and, and your listeners, I, I hope, have had the opportunity to experience. Oh, for sure. I 100% agree, Bill. Any organization at a high level, like you said, everyone's there on a volunteer basis and you've all endured some sort of hardship, whether that be the training or, or your actual attainment of your goals through competition. Um, that, that really is how your, your bonds are built on a team. A, a culminating event or, or a crucible or some sort of experience, a shared experience, like you said. And I think that's a great, uh, a great insight for, for captains out there who are on high school and college teams that, you know, may or may not receive that experience right now, or, or you don't think you've had that sort of common experience or that shared hardship, you know, find ways, come up with creative ways to, to create one of those, you know, talk to your coach, tell them, Hey, for the next week, I want to do brutal conditioning with the guys so we can have something to look back on. You know, hey, can you schedule a scrimmage against our, our toughest opponent this year in the fall and preseason so we can get a taste of what, you know, the worst is on the other end? You know, hey, can we do some sort of something outside of your sport that will be a grueling experience? Uh, some sort yeah, of – Yeah, they've got – now you've got ropes courses. You've got kind of – you know, a lot of corporate retreat kind of things. You know, guys are actually hiring retired SEALs. I didn't get one of those gigs to, to uh, basically do SEAL training for corporate execs. I want that gig. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother, my brother played uh, lacrosse at Towson, and, and one year in their preseason they had uh, SEALs come in and run them through the program. And, and he said, you know, that was the toughest workouts they had, and it definitely is something that you can draw back on as a leader later in your season or later in the timeline of your organization to, to draw on the stories from that time. And like we said before, you know, look, the worst that we've been through is behind us. And, and again, it, it really does come back to this overarching culture and narrative that you have in your organization. And it's up to you as a leader to define what that narrative is and influence the culture in ways day in and day out, whether that's, you know, little comments here and there reminding your teammates of, of what the narrative is or just keeping their eye on the, the outcome and the objective. You know, 
leading by example and showing them what your culture is about through your action. I think all of that comes together in leadership and, and it'll direct your actions on a daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal basis. Yeah, there's, a, there's that classic line, uh, quote that says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And right. so, you know, recognizing you know, there, there's no substitute for, for conditioning in, on the athletic uh, field, you know. And, and so the, the time you put in personally to be the best that you can be, uh, you know, as a captain uh, is, is key so you can then uh, have a little bit of a, a bandwidth, as it were, to reach out and, and offer some encouragement to, uh, to a teammate. Right. That's actually a huge piece. And I, and I don't think anyone's put it in that, in that way before on the show that, you know, we always talk about leading by example, you got to be the hardest worker. You got to be the most in shape and take care of the things that you're supposed to do. But I think putting in that mindset of, Hey, you don't have to do that just because you have to lead by example and, and be the hardest worker that people can look up to. You have to be the most in shape, like you said, the, the least fatigable because in those times, everyone else is going to be fatigued and everyone else in your team is going to need direction. And you need to be the one with the presence of mind, with the focus, with the poise in those situations to kind of bring that to them. And I think it's a great way of thinking about it. And, and, and I just love how clear that just came to me that, you know, that really is the reason, you know, along with leading by example and, and hopefully being a positive influence on guys trying to be like you, but also you just need to be there in the moment when your teammates need you the most. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the classic example is your Michael Jordan, you know, who clearly early was not the most physically gifted as physically gifted as it was, as he, as he was, but he, he was just not going to be denied. And so it was, you know, he made his, the, the guys around him better, which, which is what got them the championships, not his individual talent. Right. Exactly. And I think all of this is definitely going to come as, uh, a little bit of thinking outside the box when it comes to leadership. Uh, what other characteristics do you think it takes to think outside the box or, or think differently, whether it be a, about warfare or, or about sports? And, and what are some ways that, that leaders in all aspects of life can, can kind of develop that skill of thinking outside the box? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that um, is – is part of the study of your craft. You know, it's that idea of you had a, uh, you know, we, we, you probably reflect back on, uh, you know, when we were concerned about the Soviet Union uh, and we had what was referred to as the fold a gap strategy, you know, kind of that, that choke point in Germany that we could kind of have this big, big battle that could potentially keep them from, uh, uh, overtaking uh, Western Europe. Uh, and so that conventional mindset is still with us a lot today. And so when you have a guy like a General Petraeus and kind of that whole idea of uh, referred to as what was referred to in Iraq as the Ambar Awakening. And the awakening was that the, the, the Sunni tribes, I don't want to get too, te uh, you know, too geeky here, but the, the Sunni tribes, they lived there in that tribal structure and that culture. Well, they were aligned with Al-Qaeda 
but in fact, they didn't really agree with a lot of what Al-Qaeda was doing. And so rather than treating everybody the same and, oh, you guys are all terrorists, we actually were able to leverage relationships with those tribal leaders. And, you know, the worst case scenario for an insurgent is to lose the support of his population base. Mm -hmm. Right. And so rather than having more soldiers and Marines die at Fallujah or, uh, you know, so uh, we were able to do it uh, in a, in a non-kinetic way, in a relational way that once they recognized that we were not their enemy, but a potential partner, we, we saved a lot of lives and, and were able to accomplish our, our goals. So being able to get away from your personal experiences and either through, uh, you know, that lifelong learning piece that I referred to, or more accurately, you've got, you know, just because you're the captain, just because you're the leader, you do not have the market cornered on good ideas. Right. So are you encouraging the folks around you you know, uh, the old uh, Bill Cosby, I want to be the bottle cap kind of guy. You know, mm. you may have a guy that's got a great idea for a way to defeat the defense that you're facing. And so does he have the, uh, you know, does he have the sense that he's going to be listened to, to be able to bring up that, that idea? And you as the leader go, hey, let's build on that. And then somebody else keys in and goes, hey, you know what? I noticed that whenever... I go this way, my guy goes that way, and we can play that against them. And so, it's again, it's the strength of the team idea and not uh, feel like as the leader, as the captain, you have to have all the, the answers. So, so thinking out of the box starts with just being open to the fact that there's something called out of the box. Right. Is that, I, I mean, is that a, an answer to your question? Yeah, no, no, I love that. I love that answer, Bill, and I think – Sometimes captains, especially more inexperienced ones at the at the high school and the college level, really do get stuck in that mindset of, okay, I'm the leader, I have to make a decision, I have to come up with the solutions. But I think it's just that mindset of, hey, you know, there are ideas that are outside the box, and nine times out of ten, they're not going to come from me. And I think a great example or a great uh, a test is going into a, a film session and do people ask questions? You know, if you're scouting your opponent for that week, are people asking questions? Are people offering strategies? If, if the room is silent and your coach is the only one talking or, or you as the captain are the only one suggesting things, it's probably a sign that people on your team aren't as willing to open up about their ideas, whether it's, you know, they haven't been encouraged to think outside the box or, or they feel like they're going to get shut down immediately. So I think that's a, a great mindset to have. And I think a good thing you can do as a captain or a leader or as a coach, or maybe this is as a coach looking for outside the box thinkers out of his captains, you know, ask questions. If you're in film session, Hey, Joe, what do you think about the defense they're running? What do you think the best offense would be to go against this? Hey, Dave, what, how did you think practice went yesterday? What do you think some drills that we could add in there? What are some skills we need to work on? Do you have any ideas? Because like yeah. you said, going back earlier is everyone comes from different backgrounds. Everyone has different experiences that they can draw on. 
and being open to incorporating all of that just brings it all together from a leadership aspect of that, that selfless service, having followers. And, you know, one of the biggest things in the military that we have, you know, is having buy-in on a plan operationally. And when you have your subordinates or your teammates keying in and, and offering ideas in those plan, it's going to have much more buy-in when you go to execute because, you know, your subordinates, one of them comes up with a piece of the idea and now his peers are like, Hey, you know, Joe came up with that idea. We definitely can't let this piece fall apart or it's going to look bad on all of us. Or, yeah, hundred hey, you percent. Know, and even, even to, to that point is they not only feel part of it, but now they have a much better sense of, again, the goal right. and the approach. And so they can, they can make decisions uh, on the fly without you having to direct everybody to do anything right. because there's a common understanding of not just what we're trying to accomplish, but, but how we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, and meet this goal. Yeah, exactly. And why we're doing certain things. So, you know, to put that in a sports perspective, you know, you have a certain play where four guys are all supposed to go in, in certain directions. If they don't know anything other than where they're supposed to go, no matter what the situation is, they're going to go to those spots. But maybe the second time you run it, the defense adjusts and they actually could be in a better spot. If they have bought into that plan and have offered some sort of insight and you know they really have bought in, they're going to see that and say, hey, you know, I'm supposed to be here, but – I understand how this play is supposed to work. So actually I'm going to move myself in this position to actually help this play develop as it's supposed to, rather than just. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. So, so I think that's yeah, the best cool. way to, to match that up. All right. So I think I've run out about airspeed and altitude. Is there something else that you can think of? Uh, has this been uh, uh, hopefully something you think is useful for your, for your audience? Yeah, for sure. If you do have uh, just a little bit of more juice in the tank, though, I'd love to get your thoughts on at least um, uh, one piece of one more piece of narrative and, and, and I'll end with my final question, which I love asking, but in terms of narrative, what do you think the best way is to analyze narrative? If I'm, if I'm a leader out there in any organization, what is the best way for me to analyze either the narrative that I have or, or analyze a narrative that I would like to have? Yeah, let me, let me uh, give that a shot. The, uh, one of the things that I think is important, um, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the term meme, Right. Yes. And, and in modern context, you know, it's the crying Jordan or the crying Cam Newton or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. however you want to frame it. Right. But in reality, a meme is, in fact, an idea that can be, for lack of a better term, weaponized. Right. And so it, it gets back to the idea of narrative defines identity. Mm -hmm. And so I remember back in the day, you know, if you listen to a John Wooden you know, UCLA won more games just by walking on the court than in anything they actually did during the course of the game. Right. You know, they saw that UCLA across the, uh, the, the jersey and, you know, guys were defeated before they even had the tip off. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as part of your, your identity and reflecting your culture as a team or an institution, it's, when people, when, when you show up, do people know this is going to be you know, a tough night for them? Right. You know, 
they're going to recognize that, man, these guys do not quit. These guys are in great shape. They're, they're looking forward to the fourth quarter. They're not dreading the fourth quarter. And so, you know, I, forming and, and quite frankly, the, the, I think the key about identity and even culture more broadly is it's, it's, uh, it's malleable. Mm-hmm. You know, culture evolves. And so, you know, you could be a team that has a history of losing. That doesn't require you to go into it with a losing mindset. Mm-hmm. And we're going to change the culture here. And that's why, you know, uh, you know, a lot of college and, and certainly pro coaches, you know, that's what you hear. We've got to change the culture. And it's not a lack of talent in many cases. It's just, a, are we going to go the distance? And so narrative um, is, uh, you know, I, my, my swim buddy was a fellow Dookie, ran cross country, uh, and uh, they, had a, they had a word that they used for the cross country team that was harambe, you know, and it was brotherhood. It was that idea of, of common, uh, you know, identity. And so we, you know, when things would get tough, we'd have the whole class just, uh, I, I, I'm hoping Doug uh, would smile when he, when he heard me say this. We would just say Harambe, Harambe, you know, that African term of brotherhood, and it would drive the instructors crazy, and it just draw, drew us closer and closer together as we faced this, this challenge. So narrative is not fixed. Narrative is something that can be developed that will then contribute to a, to a change in culture that will ultimately uh, get you closer to the, to the outcome that you're shooting for. Right. That, did I give a reasonable answer yes. to your question? Yes, for sure. And I think that's a good way for, for leaders to kind of visualize that in a way. It's the, the culture that you have it transcended to, to your actions. And, you know, if you're, like you said, if you're a losing team, or you've had a losing records in the past, don't let that be the narrative that drives your next season. Don't let that be what you take onto the field with you for the next game. You know, make it, hey, you know, we're going to be the, the most conditioned, never quit, end of the game, we're still got gas in the tank team. Okay, what are we going to do about that? Hey, we're going to jog yep. doing from practice. Hey, we're gonna. I'm gonna I'll, I'll share one other thing uh, with you that kind of jumps in my mind as you're mm-hmm. as you're talking. Uh, had the opportunity to to live in Pensacola while I was uh, still on active duty, and had some buddies that were with the Blue Angels. And uh, if if any of your listeners, there's a great uh, YouTube video of the Blue Angels after action meeting. You know, after and every training event and every uh, performance, every air show that they did. They would get together, and they were their own worst self-critics. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and at the end of it, they would just uh, the, the the line that they would finish up with that I think should be just uh, uh, integral to every athlete's mindset is, I'm just happy to be here. I want to make the team better. And they they were t- completely uh, no, unself-conscious. They recognized when they made mistakes. They owned their mistakes and said, I will take corrective action. The team is what matters. So, so that, that might be a good closing thought. What's your, uh, what's your final question here? Uh, my final question, and, and my listeners know I ask this for everybody, 
and I usually get a different answer because it is such a specific question. But before I let you go, Bill, what is your definition of leadership? <laughs> My definition of leadership is, is giving folks the, the opportunity to achieve the goals that they have. You know, and and having those goals be in line with uh, with our broader goals. So leadership is about uh, the other. You know, what can I do? So so we're reflecting back. You know, in ten years or twenty years or 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 whenever, saying, remember those tough times that we had. Uh, you know, I really appreciated uh, the encouraging word that you had, or the time that you chewed me out. And I didn't really react to it well at the time, but I, I recognized that it was done uh, out of uh, out of my own, you know, my, my own interest, not your own personal benefit. And so, leadership is encouraging others to achieve their goals as uh, as we work towards our uh, our, our desired uh, future. I love it. No, it's great. Couldn't have said it better. Really, really making sure that everyone's goals individually line up with the organizations or better yet, the organization's goals are in line with everyone's individual goals. So I like it. Absolutely. I like it a lot. Well, great. Yeah, Bill, thank you so much for for coming on the show and and sharing your experience with us, both inside the military and and helping bridge that, that uh, the gap between athletics, because as we all know, leadership is a transferable skill across all dimensions and and thank you for for all you've done for this country during your your active duty time and and what you continue to do as as an instructor at the the joint special operations university and and thank you for being on the show really appreciate it uh my my pleasure and uh, and uh, you know i i don't necessarily uh, uh, try to be a rah-rah guy but we, we have so much to uh, be thankful for in this in this great great country and uh, and I think uh, the opportunity to to excel and, and achieve our own uh, uh, kind of personal greatness is is integral to to what the country represents. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks again, Bill. Hope you have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Luke Bullis. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five star review on iTunes. And check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.